in a series titled Signs. Everybody say signs. signs. Turn to the person next to you and say signs. signs. Turn to the person up, up behind you and say, look, give me a sign if you've been kidnapped and you're, uh, you need help getting out of a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus. All right. As we jump into the word today, we are in signs. And uh, uh, man, didn't Mimi do a great job last week ministering to where we love you, Mimi? So proud of you. <laughs> Pastor Jonathan killed it over at Mansfield. Uh, just great times. And then Mimi, she went over to Louisiana and preached to billions of ladies at a ladies' conference. And uh, so proud of her. Come on, somebody. So I come from good stock. Anyway. Um, all right, so let's jump into the word today, signs. We're in uh, sign number five. And for you guys that maybe haven't been in the service with us for the last few weeks, we've been pulling from the book of John. Uh, we've almost gone chapter by chapter. We won't do that, but that's almost what we've been doing. And, um, and so John chapter 20 was our premise of this entire series. John chapter 20 and verse 30, uh, John says it like this in his gospel. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John said, look, I've recorded some specific signs. He did so much more that I didn't record in this book. He goes, but let me qualify. I recorded these, and there's seven of them. I, I recorded these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so I pointed out to us that John is not just recording historically some things that Jesus did. John is taking what he experienced as an apprentice of Jesus. Jesus didn't just do these miracles for the sake of doing miracles. He did these miraculous signs. They pointed to something. And so what John was, was clarifying for us is that he didn't just heal a guy or he didn't just, you know, he didn't just do this thing with the feeding of the 5,000 for the sake of that. He goes, there was something that we as his apprentices, his disciples were learning in the process. And he says, and that by believing in Jesus, that by believing in him, you, you may take on his name and that you may have, have life. And that life, that word life, is not talking about making it through the week. He's talking about that divine power of God flowing through us that when everyone else is quitting, that we have this supernatural strength flowing through us, that we might have life and life more abundantly. And I'm just telling you, I warned you weeks ago, months ago, that trying times are on their way. Every time that we get into some kind of political situation these last 15 years or so, especially as a multiracial, multi-generational church with different viewpoints, and you and I, I told you a couple weeks ago, in that message like warning us about troubled times that we're going to be the church no matter what everybody else is doing, all right? We're going to love each other. We're going to take care of each other. We're not going to post things that's going to cause us to be divisive and harmful, but we're going to stand for righteousness and we're going to stand for our Jesus. And so his divine nature flowing through us so we can be at peace while everybody else is full of, is full of trouble and difficulty. You and I can walk in the divine nature. And he said, so these have been recorded. I put these in the book. I put this in my journal. I put this in the Holy Scripture, by the way of the Holy Spirit, so that you could understand who he is and have his life flowing through you. That's what he says. And so last week, we actually looked at when he feeds the thousands of people on the hillside. And when it closes out, it says once they see this miraculous sign, the people want to take by force, they want to make him the king. And Jesus literally rejects that. 
And at the end of that piece, it says that he then sends his guys, he puts his disciples in a boat and sends them across the way while he goes up and dismisses the crowd and he goes up on a mountainside because they're trying to force him to be king. And so obviously something's happening that his disciples are like, yeah, 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 this is the moment, let's go. And Jesus like, whoa, whoa, get your butt in the boat. Let's get up out of here. What's wrong with you? This ain't how it's supposed to go down. I've come to die, not to be by the flesh taken into a position, but I'm going to die and, and, and I'm going to be given my royal position. And the thing about you, just so you know, the thing about your Jesus is that he wasn't elected. You didn't get to elect him. He didn't make it by popular vote because he laid down his life. The creator, God the Father, put him in a royal position as king of kings and lord of lords. And so you don't get to vote whether or not he's king. He is king. You can surrender or you can die an eternal death. The choice is yours. That's what he gives us. But he, it's not by popular vote. I just don't really care for this and I don't care for that. Oh, great. One day your knee will bow and your tongue will confess. It will happen to every soul that has ever graced the planet. And so with that being said, let's jump in today's sign. Sign chapter uh, number five. We're in John chapter six and, uh, and we're in verse 16. We'll read that together, and you guys have given me permission to read the Bible in church. I thank you for that. Okay, John chapter 6, verse 16. It says, and when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, uh, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 21, when they were willing to take him into the boat, mark that, when they were willing. This has been the problem. When they were willing to take him into the boat, and he, excuse me, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Verse 22, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Verse 23, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, those of you that were here last week, uh, Mimi taught us how many people were there being fed. Anybody remember? 5,000 men, which we estimate how many people total then with uh, women and kids. 20,000, 15,000, 10,000 at the minimum. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus says, oh, you know, I've been here for, you know, a few hours. We had some coffee, had a chance to kind of check out the view. That's not what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. 
Powerful power. Let me break this down uh, for you for just a moment. And so the size of this lake um, is somewhere between six miles, seven miles uh, in its width, and the length of it is somewhere closer to 15 or 16 miles. And so Jesus, uh, the other three of the Gospels, Matthew and Mark, record this event. Luke does not, but John, John has some specifics, and, and, and Matthew and Mark have some specifics. And one of the things that both Matthew and Mark says is that Jesus literally put them in the boat and sent them on the other side. And as we read here, they get into this boat, and as they get into it, they're in the middle of it when a great storm happens. If you go back and research this specific body of water, because of where it's positioned, it's actually lower than sea level. And it's surrounded kind of by some little hill, mountain chains, kind of, we wouldn't call them mountains, but, but it's kind of indented, if you will. And as a result, the winds will whip down through there and create storms unexpectedly. And so they get in these boats, and Jesus has sent them away. And the reason why he sends them away is to keep them from temptation. And I alluded to it as I read it. To keep them from temptation. Because you've got 15,000 people who finally get it. This is the Messiah. This is what we've been waiting for. Because no one can take five little crackers and a couple little sardines and feed all of us at one. All of our welfare systems going away. Wait a minute. There'll be no more impoverished people. He's the one we've been hoping for and looking for. Let's make him king. And they go to take him by force. And Jesus says, no, you will not. Can you imagine what the disciples are like? Why? This is the moment. Because you got to understand, up until this, John has recorded that every time these miraculous signs have happened, minus the first two, from that point forward, then it became to be conflict, and they begin to reject him. Who, who healed you on the Sabbath? Who told you to take your mat and get up and walk? Well, that Jesus got it, and it says, and they begin to commit to try to kill him. Now they're in a crowd of people who says, he is the Messiah. Let's overthrow all the government. Let's overthrow everything that's wicked. Let's take him, and let's make him king by force. And I would imagine the disciples are like, let's get it on. I mean, they are ready. This is happening. This is going down. And Peter's thinking, ha, I'm number two vice president. Number two, Judas is thinking, do you understand the kind of money I'm going to be in charge of? We are in the money. I'm about to be rich. Because now we're going to have, because I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the taxation from the, not just the Israelites, but the Romans and the Greeks in the entire world because the Messiah is going to rule the world. And so they are set up for this, and Jesus is like, you need to get yourself in the boat. This ain't how this is going down. I told you I got to die on the cross. Get across, start going across the lake. And he puts them in the boat. While they're in the boat, well, they have obeyed Jesus and got in the boat. Are you with me? Say yes. And while they're in this boat, the wind begins to blow, and it begins to grow rough. In fact, they begin to actually take on water. And, says, and the word of God says, as they did that, they rowed. And I've been to Israel, and I've been to this body of water, and I've seen some of the ancient designs of some of their little boats. This is a skiff at best that some of you that have a little boating experience have got a little sail probably. They've got, they've got some oars. There are 12 guys in this little wooden boat kind of thing, and you don't get out on the water in a boat like this in the middle of a storm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been out in a storm fishing or something? It is a scary moment when your boat starts taking on water. They're taking on water. It's grown dark. It's a time of night that this thing is, it, they can't really see. They can see the lights on the shoreline, but they're out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, off in the distance, here comes this figure walking towards them. On water. On water. Something is moving across the water and it's not down in the water. 
Have you ever been off the, I've been off the coast of uh, Texas a couple of times in that water. By the way, don't go there. <laughs> it was mud water. They called it the ocean. I don't know what it was. But I'll never forget, we were there, do y'all remember this? And, uh, and all of a sudden, a fin did like that, just right about, about 30 yards from me. And I was like, nope, no, sir, get me out of here, because I can't see what's under the water. Well, every good little fisherman knows that there may be something under the water, but nothing walks on top of the water. That's a whole no, another level of, no, sir, get me out of here. And so all of a sudden, Jesus starts heading towards them walking, and they are rowing. They are rowing. They are rowing. They're in a storm. The waves are against them, and they're trying to get over the waves. They're trying to get to the shoreline. And one of, one of, the, uh, one of the gospels actually record they weren't going anywhere. They were not progressing in the midst of all of their effort. They're rowing and rowing. Does it sound like your Christian walk a little bit? I'm rowing, and I'm rowing, and it's more storms. After more storms, we're taking on water and taking on water, when all of a sudden, off in the distance is this figure walking towards us in his little white robe. And I would imagine they were rowing this way and started seeing, no, we're going this way. No, sir, I am no, sir, whatever that is, this way, let's go. And they are yelling and they are screaming at each other. I want you to put yourself in the moment. They are scared to death. And as they rowed, it became harder and harder and harder and harder. Can I just help you with something? They rowed even though they were in a storm. Let me break that down for just a moment. I remember years ago, I had a young couple that were in our ministry. And they were, um, he, he, since he was a kid, he was prophesied over that he would be a musician for Jesus. And that his giftings of music would take him places. And, and he literally would minister to, to thousands of people through his gifting. He was a drummer. And uh, so he's in our ministry. And he, at, he, at the same time, he had a job where he worked and um, construction and kind of thing. But he'd gotten to the place where he was getting to the end of his 20s, into his 30s. And you know how that happens. You know, all these guys that are in their 20s. And they start turning 30 and they think, I have never accomplished anything in my life. My life is over. It trips me out about you millennials. Like, oh my God, I can't retire. I'm 32. Like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you had not done nothing yet, bro. Stay the course. And so this guy got to that moment. And he's having like a midlife crisis at 29, 32 years of age. And he's like, you know, I can't. I need to, be, I need to go full calling, after, full force after my calling. I'm supposed to be in music and, and, and I'm, I'm serving at the church and da-da-da-da-da. Meanwhile, his wife starts meeting with my wife and I and says, listen, I'm carrying the load of this family. I go to work every day. I'm providing the bills. He plays at the church, but y'all don't pay him. And then every now and then he has a gig over here, a gig over there where he plays his music. And he gets a couple hundred bucks. And I'm just not going to live like this anymore. They got two kids, the pressure of those, that early marriage uh, with young kids, time frame. And she's like, I'm done. I'm not doing that anymore. And so I set his butt down. And I said, let me explain something to you. I know you have a call of God. God's going to fulfill that calling. But as your pastor, let me tell you what the word of God says. It says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. He goes, but my calling, my calling. I said, if it's God's calling on your life, he'll make it happen in due season. You just need to keep rowing. But if this ain't going right, and I had thought that this would happen, and I I had been a part of that big mega church, and I thought they would put me on staff, and they didn't, and now I'm helping you guys, and y'all not giving me any money. I said, whoa, 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 you're trying to do this in your own strength. You just stay the course of what the last thing Jesus told you to do. He told you to come to this church. He told you to serve. Just stay the course. And he goes, okay, which is like 10 percentile of the people, pastor's counsel. And he goes, okay. He said, I'll do it. 
I'm going to get a job. And I said, okay, you get a job and you stay faithful in that job. He stayed faithful in that job for two years. The church that we were a part of, we kind of moved on. And that kind of triggered some things for him to kind of move on. He ended up at this little church that was kind of getting started. It was only a few thousand people at the time. And uh, y'all might know it, it's called Gateway. And so he started playing drums for Gateway a little bit and, 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 and doing some ministry for them. And then somewhere in the midst of that, he's working his job playing drums for Gateway. And as he's sitting there in, in, in one of the services, he can't stand the little cage that they have the little thing for the drums and so he's he has this download from heaven on a cool drum cage that he could build he designs it up and he goes to gateway and he says hey listen are you okay if i spend my little money and build a drum cage that's better than this sucky thing that we have that everybody in the world uses and they were like sure great let's see what you do he designs that drum cage and he, 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 and he builds it, and he puts it on Gateway stage. Gateway has their big conference with all the pastors that come in. All the pastors are like, you got to be kidding me. At the same time, I don't remember who it was, some famous country and western singer, you know, somebody big name, uh, saw that and that cage somehow and said, will you build that for our on-the-road show that we're doing, and we want to buy one from you. He said, sure. He built one of those for them. It went on tour. Next thing you know, every church in America, every group in America is trying to buy that. That man no longer had to work construction anymore. He's in the music industry. In fact, this video wall, that, all this, all came from him. Because he's like, Pastor, you were the one years ago who told me to stay the course, and I did, and in due season, God, just keep rowing, ladies and gentlemen. In the middle of your storm, just keep rowing. What's the last thing he told you to do? And so as they're rowing, the storm is happening, and the Bible says they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. terrified. Their imagination had gotten the best of them which has happened to some of you recently. You've been down the rabbit hole so bad that your imagination has gotten the best of you about this candidate and this thing and this group of people. Listen, can I tell you something? From the very beginning, Satan thought he had Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can I tell you right now, Satan thinks he has the United States, thinks he has this, has that. Can you understand? The whole time God was setting him up. He thought he was setting Jesus up the whole time Jesus was setting him up. Who are you going to trust in? I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct my path. And listen, at the end of the day, I, it doesn't matter if we die martyrs' death, if they take everything away from us because we're believers, if they strip away everything, guess what? We inherit heaven forever and ever. So why so downcast, oh, my soul? Why so downcast? I will say to my own soul, rise up and serve the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. Their imagination got the best of them that when Jesus was coming to them to save them, they couldn't even see it because their imagination had got the best of them. The fear had so gripped them that the solution, do you understand this? The other gospels record that Jesus saw them out in the middle of this lake, buffeted by the waves, and he went walking to them. I want you to know something. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is watching after you. He is, he, uh, from miles away, he's watching this boat. He's on the mountainside. It's the middle of the night. Everybody else has gone to bed. The, the, the conference has been dismissed. The boys are in the boat. They're halfway there. They can't get across it. The storm has risen up, and Jesus is watching. And when he realizes they can't get any further on their own strength, he starts coming to them supernaturally. I want you to understand that Jesus is trying to help you out of your situation, but your terror is literally keeping him from being able to get in your boat. And so you need to get free from the terror of this world and this world system. And what, what can man do to us? 
What can this old world do to us? We have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have found the truth of all of the, uh, of the universe. We have found the creator and his son Jesus, the Holy Spirit living and abiding in us. Let us not become like these men. So again, in these miraculous things that are happening, Jesus is doing so. He's, he's literally training, apprenticing his disciples. Because they're in the middle of that moment where they want to quit on life. They think their life is coming to an end, and they just keep rowing. That's the last thing he told them to do. They just keep rowing. In fact, Matthew says it like this. They thought he was a ghost. Come on, Halloween. They thought he was a ghost. And so they're rowing, and there comes this figure, and they're like, whoa. And they row, begin to row the opposite direction, and Jesus gets closer and closer and closer, and finally Jesus speaks to them. He says, it is I. Mark records that he says, do not be afraid. Take courage. Take courage. Do you know what most of our problems is as believers right now? Is that we lack courage. We are discouraged. Courage has been ripped out of us. Because of our scenario, because of our storm, because, you know, we thought that we would, by now, we thought the ministry would be blowed up. We thought our business would be blowed up. We thought by now we'd be somebody important and famous. In fact, we had the moment, and Jesus didn't let us have the moment. Then he sends us off in a boat. We're just trying to obey him. But I could, if I'd have stayed here, if I'd have stayed on the shoreline with all these people who now are proud of us, and all of us, get, all of them got fed, they would make me some kind of little important person. But now he puts me in a boat, and he sends me on the way, and now I'm out here all by ourselves, and we're about to drown in this whole dark situation where are you God? He starts coming to us, and we don't like the way he looks and the way he comes in that moment. So we're terrified, and then he speaks. It is I. It is I. And it says in that moment, then they were able to let him in the boat. What I love about the God that I serve is that he didn't make us like robots. We have free will. We have free will. In fact, most of the stuff that I whine and cry about, cry about and am mad about in my life, when I go back and look at it, I made those choices and put myself in this situation. Can't necessarily say I heard from the Lord in that either. I wanted something, and that's what I did. And so he gives us free will. So they have a moment. Are you going to let him into your storm? Are you going to let him be the solution that he is? Are you going to keep trying to do this in your own strength? Now, you were supposed to start out rowing and doing what he told you to do. But now he's come to deliver you, and you're scared to let him in your boat. Once he speaks... And this is my, one of my big message points to you today. You need to get the voice of the Lord in your life. You need a word of the Lord. Because once he spoke, and they were like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. In fact, another passage, I think it's Mark, records it. Peter said, if it's really you, tell me to come. He's like, come on, let's go. Get out of that boat. <laughs> and starts walking towards him, right? Until he lost confidence in the face. And the voice, and he started putting confidence in the waves and his ability. Y'all know that passage? That's for free for some others of you. But in this moment in the book of John, it says, then all of a sudden Jesus speaks. And I want just to remind you, if you need God's voice, let me remind you how he speaks. He speaks through his holy scriptures. I'm telling you, start reading the word of God again. He said, I don't even know what it means. Start reading it. He'll speak to you through it. So I don't really, I'm not, I don't like it. It's kind of boring. Read the word of God. Let him speak to you. He'll speak out of the most obscure places. He did to me this every day. Every time I read the word, I start texting people and say, ah, God, talk to me about you. I was reading this. I don't know what it has to do with you. And they're like, thank you. Oh, my God, it's a word from God. Pastor, you're the most anointed. I'm like, that's right. That's right. I, it's true. I'm not the most anointed. I'm just smart enough to read the Bible. 
That's, that's my trick. If you want to know my secret ingredients, read the word of God. The same word that you have. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's the second way he speaks. You're not going to like it, but it's true. He speaks through authority, spiritual authority in your life. And that's why it's really difficult to help people who think they're part of Hill City who've never really submitted to spiritual authority here. And so you're going through something, you're like, we're just going through stuff. Yeah, but who, who have you submitted to so that God can use them to speak? He, that's what he does. All my whole life, I am here because spiritual authority that I submitted to would say, yep, no, yes, no. Otherwise, I was taking a church in Atlanta. It was 5,000 people when I was 33 years old. And my pastor looked at me and he said, do you really think that guy's going to give you the church? I said, I don't know. What do you think? Because I'm, 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 I'm looking for God's word on this. Because we're going to uproot from Dallas and go to Atlanta. And he said to me, Adam, in all honesty, I love you and I love that gentleman. But I don't believe he's really going to give that to you. And that word, he goes, now you pray and seek God. Because I don't want to tell you, thus saith the Lord. But that in itself kept me in check. Do you know that man never gave that church away till this last year? And that was 20 years ago. <laughs> My pastor, because I submitted to him. And because I'm submitted to him, it gives you peace because if I do something stupid, you have someone to call on that's going to make sure that this church continues going the right way it's supposed to go and that your investment is protected, that your children are protected. Are you with me? Say yes. Do you have spiritual authority in your life? You say, ah, there's just so much abuse and YouTube stories and this person did this. I know there's always crazy people out there. But the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. And he'll protect us from that or at least he'll speak to us and say, ooh, that ain't right. Call that out. Have a conversation about that. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And then the other way he speaks to us is literally the voice of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will speak to you throughout the day. Uh, last week, Pastor Lance had a moment to, um, to get away. You know, he's our worship pastor, and he, man, he carries so much. And so he had an opportunity to just take a week and, and just kind of go be with the Lord. And, and he went on this particular ministry trip, and he turned his phone off, put it, in the, put it in the glove box. He had a good five, six days, just him and Jesus. And when he came back, I said, what happened? I was like, did you see open visions? He said, Pastor, I don't even know how to describe it. He goes, I can hear God's voice so clearly now. He goes, I can't go to Home Depot because every time I go to Home Depot, God says, talk to that person. The last couple of days that he's been back from the retreat that he went on, he said, I just, I'm hearing God. I'm seeing God. I mean, I'm just, I'm just it's just rocked my face off. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Why? Because he had a season where he's able to quiet all the other voices so he could learn and relearn the voice of the one who saved his soul. I know. Doesn't that make us all want to go do that right now? Like, turn to your wife and say, baby, I'm taking a week off. I hope y'all make it, right? <clears throat> And then I love this piece. It says, then, once he spoke to them, then, once he spoke, then, once, one, then, once he spoke to them, they were able to take him into the boat. In other words, they were rejecting him until he spoke to them. We do that. We do that. We stand against things. We don't realize it until we get a word. That's why it's real critical that you get a word. And then from there... I want to just kind of show you the process, kind of what happened. First, there's a spiritual attack. All of you have experienced it. Then there's a physical frustration. And then there is an emotional or mental anguish that comes along with these. That's the process that they were in. They started with a spiritual attack. They were minding their own business, doing what Jesus told them. Boom. Waves taking them down. The boat's rocking everywhere. This is a terrible moment. They're all going to die out in the middle of this lake, of this giant lake, ocean little thingy thingy. And all of a sudden, man, physically they're doing all they can and they're just exhausted rowing and they're tired rowing. Just been doing what God told me to do. I'm just, I'm just exhausted. And then the mental and emotional begins to just overwhelm. And, and all of that, their perception gets off because they're mentally, they're mentally off. They're physically tired. They're under attack. And can I just tell you that? If you ever find yourself like that, if you're in that right now, never make life decisions in the middle of a storm. 
never make life decisions in the middle of a storm. I never do. I wait till God brings me through it till we get on the other side. I stay faithful to what he told me to do. And then the Bible talks about how in the middle of that, they say, yes, Lord, come into the boat with us. And the moment that he steps into the boat, did anybody catch what happens to the boat and them? Look at it. And immediately the boat was on the other side. I know the Bible is so sneaky. Like, make it plain. Jesus steps into the boat and all of a sudden, it's on the shoreline. Three and a half miles away. They were transported the moment Jesus, the moment they led him into the boat. The moment you let Jesus into your storm, he will transport you out of the mess that you're in. I'm just telling you. And if he doesn't transport you, then what he'll do like he did in the other scenario in the middle of a storm was he calmed the storm and made the storm stop while keeping them in the middle of the lake. He has a way of fixing what we get ourselves into and what the demons come against us with. If we'll just stay in obedience, if we'll get a word from him, and then if we'll let him into our scenario, I promise you, you will see the supernatural move of God. Now, this blows their mind. In fact, Mark records in that moment that they begin to worship him. Mark records that in this moment, they begin to worship him. Like, they didn't worship him before, but something different about this moment. They're like, whoa, whoa. Well, we just got transported Storm stopped. Our death moment came to an end in a second. He walks on water. This is not a good rabbi. This is not a good holy man. This is God. They had a revelation in that moment like never before. I mean, this thing is just building for them. They're like, oh my goodness. We have found the Messiah. Or better yet, the Messiah has found us. Then the Bible goes on, John records, and he makes a big piece of it. He just records this walking on the water and the miracle in the boat thing. He just records that, which is a few verses. And then he takes twice as many verses to talk about the people. The people left over from the day before. Thousands of people get up that morning looking for Jesus and the disciples. They remember the disciples got in the boat, but they can't find Jesus. It's a small area. He can't hide too many places. And so they can't find him. And so about that time, it, this thing has, this has stirred. People have told people, I mean, they've been texting people. They've been posing about, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what happened. I just had, I just had all the kind of look at all this food left over. It's a miracle. We found the Messiah. I mean, they've been posting all this stuff all night long. It's been crazy. It says, and when they can't find Jesus, they recognize that the boat went to the other side. He must have somehow snuck in it or something like that. Then all these boats, they call for all their buddies with their boats, and they go across the lake. Thousands of people go across the lake. It says the crowd. It's referencing the crowd from the day before. I don't know how much of the crowd, but if you, even if it's a percentage, even if it's half the crowd, seven, 10,000 people are getting in boats. Let's go. I mean, they're getting across this thing. And they get to the other side. And they find, they're looking around, hey, have you, have you seen uh, this guy, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, got these 12 dudes, kind of crazy dudes with him? Yeah, oh, you, where, where are they staying? Over there, okay, great. We're good. And they all show up, and there's Jesus. And they come running up, there he is, there he is, I imagine. He's like, oh, okay. And they come running up, Jesus! And then he smacks them. He said, you're only looking for me. Because, not because you see me as the Messiah and you're ready to change and repent of your sins. You're only looking for me because you want your personal needs to be met. I didn't come just to meet your personal needs. I don't care about that. I care about your soul. There's an eternity. I'm setting up a new kingdom. 
That's why it's foolish to me that you might would identify it with a political party outside of identifying with the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's who I am. I vote my conscience the best I can. But my identity is not in a political party. My identity is in Christ. And until you get delivered from that, you're going to be frustrated with people that vote differently than you and think a little differently than you. When you realize that's my brother, that's my sister, and they may think a little differently, but I love them. Lord, help them see their foolishness. No, I mean, but anyway, the point being is, is that you don't get locked down into being divisive over skin tone, over political affiliation. Come on, someone. On, on economic status educational status come on from the very beginning jesus destroyed all that and so they come looking for him and he says i've not come to do that for you i've come to change your life then what do we do to work for god and he says do the work of following the son of believing he says in him who god sent so with that being said, that brings me to a couple thoughts. I'm going to give you the life lessons. At the end of each one of these, we've kind of drawn out the life lessons that I see in this apprenticeship moment, in this teaching moment through these signs. Let's go with the first one. The first life lesson I would teach you from this is you need to continue obeying God's will, and he'll bring you through every storm. That's the first life lesson. Write it down. Memorize it. Just continue. When you get in hard times, I know Pastor Adam preached on that last year. What, what did he say? Continue obeying God's will, and he will bring you through every storm. Just continue to obey his will. Just continue to obey his will. I'm just doing my best to love Jesus. I'm just doing my best to serve God. Yeah, but my marriage is going through. I'm just doing my best to serve God. I'm just obeying him the best I know how. One of the ladies in our church last year got diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, and she, she came to all the leaders, and she said, you know, I've been diagnosed with this, and she's, you know, she's one of the key leaders in our inter for our intercession. She keeps me prayed up every, every, every Sunday. I know she's covering me. She's got a team of people that cover me so that I don't do anything dumb or mess up anything or mess up the doctrine and cause you to, you know, leave Jesus or something. They're always praying, praying for you on every gathering that we have. <clears throat> And now she's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, and so we start praying with her. We start believing. So what are you going to do? She says, oh, I'm going to quote the word every day, what I know to do. I'm going to keep obeying Jesus. She kept coming to services. She kept leading prayer. She kept, said, I'm going to keep doing what he told me to do. I'm going to keep obeying him, and I'm going to speak the word over, over this cancer until it shrivels up and dies. Do you know what? They contacted her a couple weeks ago and told her that's in remission. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Just the power of God. Just keep doing. Just keep doing God's will through every storm. Just keep doing God's will through every storm. So, yeah, I, I can't, I, it's just so embarrassing how many of these young Christians are deconstructing their faith. That means they didn't have faith. I don't know what they had, but it wasn't faith. You, you just keep the course of obeying what the Word of God tells you to do. Years ago, <clears throat> when I was first a youth minister, I was 19 years old, and I, I was over the junior high at this big mega church that we grew up in, and I uh, had 150 junior high kids, and, and, uh, I got a phone call one day that one of the young men, I was personally in relationship discipling, he had just gotten saved a couple weeks earlier, 14 years old, and uh, he died. Uh, he and his family lived out in the country. He was the only son of this couple. Um, they had been, um, they had um, had, you know, families before, you know, a, a blended family, and it was the only son of their marriage, of their union. And this, this dad loved this boy, 14 years old, and, and they lived out in the country, kind of like out in Cleburne or somewhere like that, and they would come every Sunday to our services. 
I drive 45 minutes to an hour. And, um, and this particular day during the summer, the mom wanted to move a mattress over to her, uh, one of her adult children's house. And so she threw it in the back of the truck and had him lay on it to hold it down. And went driving down the FM 105 or whatever, you know, farm road, whatever. And uh, met an 18-wheeler coming the opposite direction. She's doing about 50. He's probably doing about 50. And that wind current grabbed that mattress, picked that thing up in the air, and that kid landed on his head on the pavement and killed him instantly. Cracked his skull open. First funeral I ever did. I was 19 years old, 2,000 people at this funeral. And that dad, that dad was so embittered at the mom's mistake. It was unbelievable. He was so embittered that he didn't just quit on the marriage. He, he divorced her within a matter of weeks. He divorced her in a matter of weeks because it was an accident. Embittered her to life, quit Jesus, quit God, quit on life. I'm telling you, that man, and that was, that was 30-something years ago, that man died a death, I think, uh, as I understood it. He became an alcoholic, went back to his old wicked ways that he was before Christ, destroyed everything that he had, and ended up being one of the loneliest old men in that area, all because of what? Because he could not keep rowing in the midst of the storm. He stopped obeying God. Yes, he was in pain. Yes, this was tragic. Yes, this little precious, little sweet wife made the mistake of her lifetime. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, you and I need to stay the course on obeying what he told us to do. No matter how bad life gets, no matter how unfair things seem. Are you with me? Say yes. They ended up in this scenario because they obeyed Jesus. Which brings me to number two. And that is, one word from Jesus will end your terror. One word from Jesus will end your terror. You need to get a word. You need to get a word. You say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this situation. Get on your face, fast and pray till you get, and read the Bible until you get a word from Jesus. Yes. That's what you need. I, I, it's so frustrating to me for Christians to think that the pastor has to give them the word. You need a word from God. We, we can confirm. We can help aid and guide. But at the end of the day, he wants a relationship with you. He don't want a relationship with you through me. He wants his own relationship with you. You are his son. You are his daughter. Sir, ma'am, going to church and getting a little fix is not, that is not build a relationship. Can you imagine if I met with my wife for an hour and 15 minutes once a week on a Sunday? Unless it was raining? <laughs> or the Cowboys were playing early? <laughs> Can you imagine that? God wants to talk to you and be with you and know you and direct you and guide you. He put it, the person of the Holy Spirit lives and abides in you as believers, and he'll guide you in all truth. He'll comfort you through all difficulty. That's what the word of God says. This church is going to force you to build a relationship with Jesus. You're either going to build one with him or walk away from us because you're not going to be able to take it. Because yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to give you a little patty down words to make you feel good for the moment and sign you up for little things, you know, to keep you busy. You need to know your God. And we're going to be an effective church that touches the broken and the hurting as we grow and that we get free from our broken and hurtingness. Are you with me? Say yes. So you need to get a word from Jesus. You are sitting in the word from Jesus right now. Some of you don't know this because you're newer to us, but years ago I was a traveling minister, traveled 82 engagements a year, big conferences, big name, blah, 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 running a Bible school. And we had started making disciples in our living room because we knew that we, we had to make disciples and be obedient to the Lord 
And in the middle of doing that, that thing began to grow, and I would get on an airplane at Friday, and I would fly out, and I'd preach Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back, run the Bible school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. I would meet with my small group, and they began to grow and grow, and I said, no, 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 I, can, I, can, I can't disciple that many people. Each of you bring, disciple your own friends. Don't bring them to my house. So we opened up within a matter of months. We opened up like 12 small groups, Pastor Jonathan and Myrna, Ken and Kenzie, all the core people that were with us, just a bunch of young adults trying to follow Jesus. We birthed literally micro churches, and we didn't even know what we were doing but obeying the word of God and then that thing kept growing and, and, and our ministry kept growing and then one day God says I want you to shut down everything and now these small groups this home church thing I want you to pastor and I want you to start having meetings with them all collectively so we started having once a month meetings and things like that somewhere in the middle of all that it just got we weren't getting people saved I was frustrated I was mad at God I was like I was doing something great and now we got 150 people we don't have a building we don't no one's getting saved anymore I laid it all down to do what you told me to do I'm out here in the dark I'm out here in the storm I don't have any resources resources, all my buddies, all the people that I grew up with in ministry. Now I've got 5,000 member churches. You told me not to take the one 5,000 member church. You told me to let go of all the influence from the Bible school. You told me I just do my best to obey you, Lord, and I'm miserable and I quit and da 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 And I'd been praying Ephesians 1 17 that the Lord, that I pray that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I said, Lord, I need wisdom and revelation how to get out of this. I need wisdom and revelation how to get out of the storm. I need wisdom and revelation how to get out of this old nasty boat and get to my promised land. Wisdom and revelation. And finally, after two, three Three years of praying that over and over. Finally, he came to me and said, stop. I said, what do you mean? It's biblical. He said, stop. He said, I don't want you to pray for wisdom. I want you to pray for miracles. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He goes, because if I give you wisdom, and, and so many people's lives get changed, and Hill City blows up into this thing. He says, everyone, the history on that will be that our pastor was great and amazing. I don't want you to be great and amazing. I want to be great and amazing. I'm putting you in a situation like Gideon where no one can take credit for what I'm about to do. That's what I'm doing to you. And once I got the word, I was like, let's go. That's it, because I felt the pressure of trying to be the greatest pastor because I had been, in, I had been raised up by some of the greatest men and women of God. And, 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 I'd, and, and I had a responsibility to live up to my potential. And I'm reading the same leadership books you're reading, you know, from good to great. You know, I'm trying to be great. And nothing, none of it's happening. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And finally, when I got the word of the Lord, I settled in. I started praying for miracles. And that's when this building hit. And this building hit. And the people that were with us stayed with us. And next thing you know, more people came, more people came. You guys came, then we opened another campus. We're looking to open a third uh, physical campus here in 2023. We're just going for it. Why? Because I got a word from the Lord. Yes. Had I not gotten that word from the Lord, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here. You track with me? Say yes. yes. You need a word from the Lord. You need a word. What is it? What is it? Take something from this message as a word from the Lord and put it into play. Here's the third life lesson that I would teach you from this, and that is do not work to get work to become they were like what work do we do to get all this good stuff that the messiah is going to bring he's like no no sir no 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 you need to work you need to work to know the savior this is about you and i becoming this is not about us doing when i look in the mirror i want to i want to see jesus looking back at me i'm tired of adam mccain and all his selfishness and all his little immaturity i don't want to see that guy and so we live this thing out, not to impress others, not to get a position amongst our peers in the church. We don't, uh, Lord, how can I become like you? I'm working to become like him, no more like me. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. 
And so, so, so for some, it's, there's these baby steps. Think about a child. Think about that infant, just one step at a time. And some of you have these visions of grandeurs. You want to leap into raising the dead. I can't even get you to pray out loud in small group. Let's start there, baby step. What's your next step? What's your next step? That's why we have clear steps here, because we want to help you gradually become who you're supposed to be. That's why we start with, listen, the first thing we want you to do is make a decision for Jesus. Do you want Jesus? Yes, I want you. Then we ask you, you know what, the next step, how about you get water baptized with us? Yeah, I'll take that step. I'll take that next step. Then we say, why don't you go to our grow track so you can learn about this church and maybe find your place to get connected, start using your gifts. And while you're in grow track, we're going to help you decide and understand what your gifts are and where you fit best. Okay, I'll go to grow track. Hey, in the middle of grow track, I don't want to go to this church no more. I didn't realize y'all believed that. Great, because you're going to be miserable. We're going to be miserable. Thank you. Good job. Let's point you to another church. Let's go. And here's who we called to pastor and who we're called to me. Oh, I like this, what I'm supposed to do too. Great. You start saying, hey, we need to get you in a relationship group where you have some other friends that have your back and you got their back. We call that small group life. Ah, the last small group I went to at my old church, they gossip. They talk bad about me. They didn't call me whenever I had my hysterectomy. Da, 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 da. I know that. People are so broken. Oh, my Jesus. Take another step. Though. Until you take that other step, you're stuck. So I got to keep you stepping. Why? Because the only way to become liking is to keep pursuing him. Right? And that's a matter of baby steps. One step here, one step there. One, are you tracking with me? Say yes. So let's review the three life lessons I want you to take home today. Number one, continue obeying God's will, and he will bring you through every storm. Number two, one word from Jesus will end your terror. Somebody say amen. And number three, do not work to get, but work to become. Are you with me today? Say yes. Stand with me quickly across the room. So, but this is your moment. We told you about taking communion. So go ahead and grab right now, grab the elements, uh, whether it's some bread and some juice, um, if you have it, or maybe some tortilla chips and some Gatorade. Uh, the biggest part about us is that we believe that these are symbolic acts of greater truth of being able to participate in that work of Christ. Um, and so, but I want to challenge you. So Pastor Adam always challenges us out of 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, um, chapter 11, verse 27. It says this, whoever therefore eats of the cup or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so scripture would argue this is that, hey, before you come take these communion elements, search your heart and find out, do you have, oh, do we have the, uh, it's not going to that, no worries, I will go ahead and go back. But before you go take communion in an unworthy manner, make sure that you've got anything in your heart set free. And make sure that you're committing all that heart, that forgiveness, before you come to the table of communion. Uh, he would also say this, if you have any sin habits that you need to confess, this is your moment. So let's just take a moment right now where we're, you know, connecting together. And let's just pause and come before the Lord. And just take a moment of silence to pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Anything that would make us unworthy, God, we pray that you would just expose our hearts. Amen. Well, now, in this moment, I, I want to bring us over to Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. This is the moment where Jesus is having a meal with what the guys think is just their best friends, right? They're here with their, their pastor. They're hanging out. And Jesus gets everybody solemn in this moment and says, hey, this gather, gather together. Hey, pass out these elements real quick. It says that first he takes the bread and he holds it up and he says, this bread is my body. It's been broken for you. So let's take. 
Jesus, we just thank you for the sacrifice of your body. God, we thank you for those 39 lashes, God, those 40 lashes, God. We thank you for all those things that you went through, that sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you that you sacrificed and went through the pain of the cross for us. It said while they were still sitting together, he then took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of my covenant poured out for you. Anytime you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and take the juice. Jesus, we just thank you that your blood and your covenant is a greater covenant. God, I thank you that you fulfilled all the works of the law. And God, we thank you that we are washed clean, not because of our great works, but because of your great work on the cross. And God, we thank you that this is a holy moment. We do all these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, you may be saying to yourself, hey, you know what? Uh, when you said don't take it in an unworthy manner, um, there's no way for me to take it in a worthy manner because I've never started a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you would say, hey, when we paused and you said, check your heart, maybe you thought to yourself, hey, you know what? I, I used to serve Jesus, but I stepped away from that, but I'm ready to come back. Well, Esmeralda and I want to be able to pray with you to be able to welcome yes. you back home. So if that's you, normally we'd have people in a sanctuary raise a hand. So I want you where you're at, whether you're in a coffee shop or maybe you're in your living room, uh, you know, every head bowed and every eye closed if you're with family. And let's take this moment. If you want to make a relationship and start a relationship with Jesus right now, or you say, you know what, this is my moment. I'm ready to come back home. I want you to raise your hand right now with me. I can't see your hands, but if you want to put your hands in the chat, little waved hands in the chat, I can definitely see those as well. But I want to be able to see what you have this morning. But raise your hand right now, and if that's you, I want you to repeat with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I thank you for your great work on the cross, and I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me, and I pray that you would wash me clean. Jesus, today, my life changes for good, and I will serve you all the rest of my days. Jesus, write my name in your book of life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Hey, if you made that decision, today marks a spot of your big life change, and we want to know about it. Yes, we want to know about it. So take your phone out and we want you to text decided to the phone number 469-606-2684. Once again, that's 469-606-2684. Text decided so we can pray with you. We can send you resources in your new walk with Jesus. Absolutely. Don't do this walk alone. Get connected with a small group as well. Yes. We love you love online you and we will see you in the chat.